News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, 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 things to be, things seem to be looking up for the federal liberals, and that can definitely coincide directly with the new and increasing shipments of the highly coveted COVID-19 vaccines that are arriving. This is according to a new poll, Ipsos polling done exclusively for Global News, that found should a federal election be held right now, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Liberals would receive 35% of the popular vote. That's up two points from last month. The Conservatives, though, would receive 28%. That's down from 30%. Uh, let's talk about these results now with the help of Sean Simpson, Vice President of Ipsos this morning. Hi, Sean. Good morning. Okay, let's talk about these results. What surprised you when you looked at these? Well, uh, maybe not surprising, but remarkable how quickly uh, fortunes can shift uh, during these times of pandemic. Just last month, we were saying uh, that the Liberals weren't really in good shape for an election. The lead over the Tories was only three points nationally, which is essentially a statistical tie. Uh, and that uh, if they were go, if they were to cause an election and and um, go to the ballot box, uh, things would probably look much uh, in the same way that that they are now in terms of, uh, of seat count. Now, fast forward only a month. Uh, we've got vaccines uh, being delivered. I think almost a, a million this week alone. Uh, a fourth vaccine has just been approved in um, in Canada. And along with, uh, you know, rising optimism about being vaccinated, uh, the fortunes of the Liberals have risen as well. Right. That's not good news for the Conservatives, it sounds like. No, it's not. Aaron O'Toole uh, is, is struggling for airtime. You know, uh, all of the focus of the media uh, in politics has been on the prime minister, on the rollout of vaccines, you know, for better or for worse. For a while, things were, were not looking good uh, for the prime minister with all of the, the delays. Uh, but now, you know, vaccines bring not just uh, protection against the virus, but they also seem to inject a sense of confidence in the uh, uh, in the federal government. And even though people are, are, are not necessarily convinced that uh, the Prime Minister will meet his stated targets of everybody vaccinated by September, it looks like there's enough hope that there, many are turning sort of back to on side uh, with regard to their political support. Right. It really does sound like then, Sean, from the polling that Ipsos has done, that the, the, the health of the federal government, the Liberal government, does depend on vaccines. Yeah, it depends on the health of Canadians. Uh, that's really the, 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 the one thing that people are, are paying attention to right now. The election will likely be a, a referendum of sorts on uh, the prime minister's handling of the uh, of the vaccine. And so uh, with things seemingly going a little bit better, uh, the prime minister's fortunes are, are better. He's not yet in majority territory Um at 35% nationally, uh, but uh, he's got a solid lead in, in here in British Columbia, a 10-point lead over the, the NDP and the Conservatives. Uh, he's got a solid lead in seat-rich Ontario of 13 points over the uh, over the Conservatives. The the stumbling block, block the um, uh, uh, blocking the path to a majority is Quebec, where the bloc actually has a, a modest lead over the Liberals. Really? So yeah, what about the other parties? What about the NDP? What about the bloc? What about the Greens? Yeah, well, you know, the NDP seems to uh, oscillate between about 16 and 20 percent support. Jagmeet Singh really having a hard time resonating with a with a broad uh, swath of Canadians, popular among uh, 
women, younger people, but really having a, a difficult time uh, reaching out to, to, to boomers, to men, uh, all of which are, are critical in, in trying to call together support nationwide. The bloc seems to have a bit of a resurgence uh, in, in Quebec. Um, you know, uh, jostling. Just a couple of months ago, the Liberals were in the lead. Now the Bloc's in the lead. I think Quebecers are still trying to figure out exactly what's going on. But, you know, within the province, the Liberals still have a, a solid grasp on, on Montreal. It's those outer areas where the, where the Bloc seems to be making inroads. So was that, would you say, like when you talk about the popularity of the of the Liberals then, is that right across the country? Are they doing well in, in most provinces? Uh, well, they, they have pockets, and it's actually, you know, not necessarily provincial, but uh, more of an urban rural. You know, if mm. if if you're in a if you're in a city, um, then uh, odds are you're you're voting you're voting liberal. Uh, if you're more in suburban areas or rural areas, um, you're much more likely to be uh, considering the uh, the Tories. Um, and so uh, it, it's it's hard to look at a province and understand. Okay, this is the the picture of the province because uh, even within the province, there are there are great variations between the city dwellers and more uh, suburban dwellers. Right. You've also got some polling out this morning having to do with people wanting to take the vaccine, and it does sound like there's a lot of people saying yes, give it to me. Yeah, uh, we're actually uh, finding that uh, a growing majority of Canadians, we're up to 69%, say that they uh, would um, uh, receive the, the vaccine without hesitation. When we were first uh, hearing about the, the vaccine, there was some hesitation. Is it safe? It's been approved very quickly. Does it work? What are the side effects, etc.? And as more Canadians are, are being vaccinated, others are looking around and saying, you know, it doesn't look so bad. Maybe you don't feel well or have a sore arm for a day or two, but... Um, you know, the, the, the protection is, is worth it. So fewer have concerns, more are saying, you know, give me the vaccine as soon as possible. I think they, if you can tie it to the fact that things might start to get back to normal, I'll bet you a lot more people will say, yes, give it to me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think people are increasingly uh, understanding that uh, the vaccines are the path to normalcy. You know, will it will it change overnight? No, it'll be a, a steady progression. And the vaccine isn't 100% effective. Um, so there, there will still be the transmission of the of the virus. Mm-hmm. But this 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 does a really good job at, at getting us back to a, uh, a place where we were a little over a year ago um, and uh, beginning to, to travel and re-engage with the economy. So true. Sean, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been my pleasure. Sean Sipson is the vice president of Ipsos, talking about polling done for Global News, which you can find in its entirety. Read all about it at globalnews.ca. Uh, interesting, the thing about vaccines, though, the Ipsos polling also showed that, you know, when it comes to keeping promises, 48% of the people they surveyed said that they're confident about the federal liberals' vaccine promises. 52% disagreed uh, so they're not people aren't necessarily convinced that we're going to meet the targets of having everybody vaccinated by September which is what the federal government has repeatedly said the prime minister has said that over and over and over again campgrounds BC campgrounds officially up for grabs what this time just about this time yesterday seven o'clock yesterday morning uh, the website went live now it didn't crash did experience high volume but it didn't crash 
course, the ongoing joke for that is that's because so many people were busy trying to get on and book a vaccine appointment. Uh, They were distracted by that. But they did have about 5,000 bookings, less than that, made by about 8 a.m. And people were getting through. But we know that the camping reservation system has kind of been a sore point for quite a while there. Let's talk to Sam Waddington now, who's the owner of Mount Waddington's Outdoors. Hi, Sam. Hey, how's it going this morning? Good, thank you. So what are you hearing about how that whole process went yesterday? Yeah, well, as always, uh, the inaugural day for BC Parks is always a saga. So um, some folks uh, got what they wanted, I think, and and, uh, and were there ready and early. Um, but as usual, that, that first two-month availability all opening on one day, I think left a few people disappointed for sure. Oh, I'm sure too. I tried to get through and, uh, you know, I had no problem getting through and all of that, but couldn't make a reservation because everything was gone already. And that was like pretty early yesterday morning. Does that show you how do you think popular things are going to be this summer? Yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, we're, we're only BC residents, or at least there's a disclaimer to only include yourself if you're a BC resident in the booking. But, um, but I think even just BC residents booking, it's going to be one of our busiest camping seasons on record i mean we all know this but folks can't leave and um and head down to the states or or be overseas or or even just be at the gym or any other thing for that matter so this seems to be what people are up to and uh yeah expect a busy a busy year out there what's it been like for you and your company in the last year yeah it's been um it has been one of the busiest years on record um colleagues of mine who've been in the industry for decades have said they've never seen a year quite like this um, and, uh, and honestly though, that, that comes with a lot of, uh, challenges, you know, there's, there's folks who want to get outside and, um, get themselves sorted for camping season, all these types of things. And there is a huge shortage of, uh, equipment and supplies, uh, just coming in from, from suppliers overseas and, and even domestically. So, uh, if you're looking to go camping, I would start making plans early as these BC parks reservations kind of kickstart the season, but, um, but yeah, get, uh, get yourself sorted early on cause it might be tough later in the season for both campsites and equipment do you think if things do get back to normal it'll stay that busy well do you think people have, i think i feel like over the last year people have uh learned to love you know vacationing in their own backyard yeah you know what it's yeah it's a good point because we've been trying i mean those of us who love the outdoors you know we love love spreading the the good word about it right and 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 the the reality is we know that a lot of people who are having their first you know, outdoor experience, whether that's actually camping or just hiking or rock climbing or whatever it is that you're getting up to out in the backcountry, um, it will alter you. It'll, uh, it'll affect you. And, and we believe that you'll be addicted to it for life. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a, a change. So something for the BC government to watch out for and, and hopefully respond to in, uh, in an increase in capacity right. in our system. Well, demand was big before, right? Now it's just gotten even more. Yeah. So what's your exactly. advice to people, Sam, if they are looking for campsite campground to check out this summer? Mm-hmm. So um, that first day yesterday was for the first two months. So going forward, every single day, you'll be able to book campsites two months out from that date. So uh, plan your trip in advance and, uh, and see if... Um, you know, if you can get your BC Parks campsite, but if not, um, BC has a, um, a a two-tier system. They also have an entire network of campsites run by Rec Sites and Trails British Columbia. It's a different provincial ministry uh, through the Forestry Ministry, and there are amazing sites all over the province in that regard. So um, maybe this year is a, a chance to try something a little bit new, try something a bit up more off the beaten track, and uh, explore a different part of the province that's not in a BC park. Great. You'll most likely have better luck with booking. Well, yeah. Great advice, Sam. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course, as always.
Well, spring break is rapidly approaching and there's lots of concerns still about what is going on in our schools with exposures to COVID-19, with variant exposures. Now, Fraser Health is working with the Surrey School District to try to manage the number of cases that they have right now at places like Westerman Elementary, uh, Chimney Hill Elementary, Fleetwood Park Secondary, Frank Hurd, Princess Margaret and Tamanowis. Teachers in Surrey, meanwhile, continue to be very frustrated with what they call the province's refusal to bring stronger health protocols into the classroom. So we thought, let's get an update on how that's going. Joining us is Matt Westfall, once again, president of the Surrey Teachers Association. Hi, Matt. Hi, Simi. Thank you for having me. Well, has anything improved, Matt, in the time since that we have last talked to you? No, it is not. In fact, things have gotten worse. Uh, it's gotten worse in the sense that we're seeing more and more schools having exposures to variants of concern. And it's gotten worse in the sense that all of our efforts to have this situation change, to allow districts to have heavier, uh, stronger safety measures are hitting a brick wall. Whether it comes to talking to Fraser Health or our local MLAs, the answer we're, we always get is that, well, we're in the hands of Dr. Henry and the CDC. And until the advice from there changes, they can't, for example, require masks to be worn in elementary classrooms. Right. And because I know the protests have also been happening, right? And since we last talked to you, I think that was the day the protest started. Uh, So we've seen more of, you know, the teachers wearing red, hosting kind of walk-ins at the start of the school day. They've been trying to raise awareness. Has that had any kind of an impact, do you think? Uh, it, I think it's helping get it, get attention to the problem because the, the answer we're hearing from the province is don't worry, everything's fine, schools are safe. But that's not matching with what teachers and support staff as well are seeing on the ground, which is that they're seeing more and more exposures. At some schools, parents seem to have lost confidence in the school and they're just keeping their kids home until spring break. Uh, so there's just mounting concern and frustration, at the lack of further action. So then what are the next steps here? Well, we have to keep doing what we can do, pushing everywhere, every way we can to bring awareness to this problem because we have never yet heard a good answer about why a district like Surrey that has been heaviest hit by COVID and especially the variants of concern can't have stricter safety measures to deal with situations in this community compared to other places that are relatively unscathed. Okay, so it sounds like, is the message getting through to parents, do you think, Matt, as well? Because they obviously play a huge role in this, right? Like, if, you know, if the government won't listen, things would be helped if parents could listen. They would be, and some parents are highly engaged and highly concerned about this because they they want their kids to be in school in a safe way. Uh, They don't just want them in there and then just waiting to see if they get infected or not. So, so yes, we're, we're seeing a positive response from parents and a lot of support. All right. So then this is going to continue. Do you feel, is it getting harder, do you think, to get the government's attention, given a lot of that seems to be focused right now on the whole vaccine delivery program? Uh, you know, the vac- you know, vaccine delivery program is really important, but it's not going to help us right now. And it's not going to help us significantly before the end of the school year, unless something d- significant changes. So that's why we still have four, uh, three and a half months left to go in the school year, and a lot could happen in that time. And requiring masks in classrooms is not a big step. It's not an onerous requirement, but it could make a significant difference to make uh, things safer. Are you worried about the impact of spring break? I am. Uh, it's a big unknown. Whenever we have a break, wondering what are people going to do? Because I think we see that there is a certain amount of COVID fatigue happening. People are letting their guard down. So if people people do what they should do, which is keep to themselves and not travel, spring break should help because then they're not seeing others as much as when kids are in school. 
But if they don't, then we could see things even worse when we come back. So it sounds like the next few weeks then are going to be critical, right? Leading up to spring break, those two weeks of spring break, and then what happens when you're back? Absolutely. You know, I hope that we will be able to reverse the trends. But right now, the infection levels are staying steady. And especially the, the numbers and variants of active cases is really going up at a rapid rate. So that's a big concern, especially in this community. So when you talk to parents, and do they understand that? Is there a lot of communication, do you think, going on? There is, yeah. No, I, I think parents get that. And they're, I think a lot of them are wondering as well why there aren't stricter rules. I mean, we can, we've encouraged them. We've sent videos out to the public saying, send your kids to school with masks. So we're doing our part there. Not all parents want that. You know, you're never going to have everyone agree on everything. So that's, that's why we think the best thing is for the government. Rather than just encouraging mask use, we think we just need to require it. Oh, so you're saying that because there are some holdouts when it comes to parents, that you need it to be a rule? Yes. Because, and especially, sort of in, take elementary, for example, where grade six and seven kids they, they know that it's not required, so it's a little tougher to actually get them to buy in if, if they don't want to, because they know, well, actually, you can't make me, and they're right. Uh, whereas if they're in a middle school uh, in another district at that same age, they could be required to wear masks more, and that's another part of the illogical thing about the current rules. Right, so how difficult is it, and if you're a teacher in a classroom, and if you want to have the mask in your classroom, is that something a teacher feels free to do at this point, to say, listen, guys, I, I, this is how it's going to be in our classroom? Uh, what you have to do is try to get everyone to buy in, to appeal, oh, look, we've all got, we don't want to get sick, we, we all have older relatives, we don't want them to get sick, to try to get everyone to kind of buy in that way, but teachers have been told that you cannot require it. And if you try to do that, you will not be backed up. Interesting. Okay, now I'm going to ask you something about that has nothing to do with the situation here. Okay, Matt? Sure. This has to do with our producer of the show today, used to be one of your students. That's right. And I, Okay, so you know Jason. You remember Jason? Yes, I do. Okay, what kind of a student was he, Matt? Jason was one of those students <laughs> where, you know, I was looking forward to seeing what he would do once he got out of high school, once, oh. he, uh, once he found what he wanted to do. I think... It's kind of like me when I was in high school. I just wanted to get out of there, honestly. Right. So, would you say that <laughs> so on his really report smart. card, would you say that on his report card, perhaps you as a teacher often wrote, I feel Jason is not working up to his full potential? Uh, I, well, I can't, I can't violate his privacy, but you know, he, there certainly have been students where I've said that. And, okay, uh, listen, it was said on my report card. My mother gave me a hard time about that all the time. Yeah, that was me too. <laughs> <laughs> so he turned out okay. We just wanted to let you know he's all right. He's yeah. a good kid. He's excellent. Okay, thanks for that, Matt. Appreciate (laughs) your time. That is Matt Westfall, president of the Surrey Teachers Association and the former teacher of our producer today, Jason Manoz. So good news that I know a lot of people were looking forward to hearing is that BC's post-secondary institutions were advised yesterday to start preparing for a full return to on-campus education this September. Boy, how nice that will be, right? And all of a sudden, September feels like it's right there. In a statement, Ann Kang, the Minister of Advanced Education and Skills Training, said Dr. Henry had contacted the presidents of all public colleges and universities and said that a return to in-person instruction can be done safely this fall for all students, staff, and faculty. So what about the guidelines for that? How is that going to look? Well, joining us now is UBC spokesperson Matthew Ramsey. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning, Simi. This must have been some very welcome news yesterday. You know, I was thinking back to a year, almost a year ago next week, where uh, everything changed for the university. Um, Classes went online, uh, staff went home, 
faculty uh, began uh, instructing online, and, uh, and uh, the, the whole face of the university changed. It felt like almost overnight. So after a year of uh, managing the huge operational impacts of that shift, uh, yesterday's uh, news is, is good, I think, for students, faculty, and staff. Right. But let's talk about what that looks like then, Matthew, because obviously there's going to be need to be some guidelines. Has any of that been discussed at this point? Well, their planning is underway. Um, the president was fairly clear in his announcement yesterday that the planning has begun. Um, and there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. And those answers will be coming in the weeks and months ahead. And we'll make sure that our community hears those answers as soon as they're available. All right. What are some of the questions do you think that institutions will have? Well, I think there's uh, obvious questions about uh, how to accommodate uh, students, how to uh, ensure that uh, students coming from overseas have access to quarantine space, should it be required, uh, how to ramp up uh, in-class instruction, um, and how to make the shift away from uh, online. It's a very challenging process. Um, it's not like flipping a switch where uh, these, these questions can be answered overnight. Right. So that's the focus over the next uh, little while is to uh, get all of those uh, those details worked out and make sure that we uh, let our students, faculty and staff know. I would imagine as well that some people, some students, some faculty might like the way it is now. They like the option of doing things online. So will there be more options, do you think, available? I think it's a little bit too soon to speculate on that's to me. I've seen those comments on social media as well, and uh, you know there are benefits and advantages to being online, and there are benefits and advantages to being in classrooms. But uh, the, the final model uh, will be worked out uh, in, in in a little while, and we'll make sure that our, our faculty and students and staff uh, know about that as, as soon as possible. Right. Did it impact admissions for this year, Matthew? Like, did that did people rethink the idea of university? Do you think because of this? Actually, the impact on admissions was uh, far less than than uh, we had initially projected. Um, in fact, the uh, admissions were increased um, uh, across the board in Vancouver and in uh, Kelowna. So it seems, at least uh, based on that, that plans uh, students had uh, to attend university were not uh, impacted um, largely by, by the pandemic. Okay, so then gearing up for September, though, things getting back to normal, if people kind of wanted that experience, I would imagine you might be bracing for more students. Well, we have a set number of uh, spaces that we're funded for by the province, and uh, the, the plan at the moment is to keep in line with previous uh, levels of enrollment from previous years. So I don't think we're going to be seeing a huge increase in the number of students. Right, but faculty must be all exhausted. Administration must be exhausted over the last year. Uh, I have been in the EOC from the beginning of this and worked with uh, the senior administrators across campus on this. And I have to say that I'm, it's been a high point for me to see just how hard everyone, uh, faculty, uh, administration, and the students have worked to shift the university um, almost on a dime. Uh, and, and how hard they've worked to make sure that the operations of the university are not negatively impacted over the last year. It's been in, incredibly trying at times, but also uh, incredibly rewarding. And um, we've 
said over and over again how much we appreciate the work of the faculty and, and the, the work of the students and the work of the staff uh, to make it all happen. And I'm, I'd like to say that again. It's been absolutely uh, tremendous to see um, everybody pulling together to protect the health and safety of our community and to ensure that the primary uh, research and teaching um, basis for the university mm-hmm. continues as best as possible. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us and best of luck. Thank you very much, Simi. Have a great day. You too. That's Matthew Ramsey, spokesperson for University of British Columbia. They are ramping up all BC colleges and institutions. Heard from Dr. Body Henry yesterday saying that you can prepare for the return of in-person instruction safely for all students, staff and faculty this September. But they still have to work out kind of what that looks like exactly, what the guidelines are. But they're on their way. And I'm sure that's good news for a lot of people. You want to weigh in? Simi at cknw.com. Well, if you have an aquarium in your home, while you're being advised to immediately check the plants in that aquarium for an invasive species, this is after deadly zebra mussels were found in moss balls up in Terrace and in Washington State. So now the Invasive Species Council of BC is reminding British Columbians that everyone needs to be vigilant to prevent these invasive species from causing damage to BC waters and lands. We wanted to learn more about this. So joining us now is Gail Wallen, the Executive Director of Invasive Species of BC. Gail, thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Why are these zebra mussels such a concern? Uh, Zebra and quagga mussels are an extremely invasive uh, species. And if they were established in BC, which they are not, they would actually really change our fresh water. It would change the habitat for our fish and critters. It would change our shorelines. It wouldn't be able to walk on them. And they would actually damage things like irrigation systems and hydro facilities and mo- boat motors, etc. We don't want them. And there's been uh, millions of dollars invested in trying to keep them out of BC. So where did these ones come from? Well, the originally zebra quagga mussels came from Eurasia. Um, they were introduced into the Great Lakes, probably through uh, ballast water. And ever since uh, they were introduced, they've actually been certain starting to migrate across Canada and the United States. So for the last five years or more, there's been actually a coordinated effort to keep them out of our waters by checking all the boats coming in. But th- these ones have actually come in through aquarium trade. And so people with aquariums have received moss balls with actually hidden zebra mussels in them. And some of them are alive. And they're not just in terrace. They're actually in the lower mainland. And we're just waiting to hear where else they are in British Columbia. But they are a right. high risk to us. Right. So if somebody bought like decorative moss for their aquarium? Yeah, it's a moss ball. People will buy them as a bed, a buddy, et cetera. Um, many people have them that I know that have got aquariums. And so there's something nice to add to your attractive features. But these ones have actually come in and are contaminated with these mussels. And you can get them through many of our local pet stores. And you can actually order them online. So that's why we're calling on British Columbians to be aware. If you've got friends with a, an aquarium, get them to check it. And then there's responsible things you have to do when you remove them. Right, because so. this is the important part. And we really have to stress this, that if you find uh, something questionable in those moss balls, like what you think is a zebra mussel, you can't just like throw it away or flush it down the toilet, right? No, absolutely not. You cannot put this down your toilet sink or whatever. You need to take those moss balls, if that's what's contaminated, and actually uh, freeze them for 24 hours, boil them for a couple minutes. That will kill them and then dispose them in your trash, not in your compost, no, no place else. Put them in your trash. 
Um, the other thing that you're going to need to do is, is make sure that the water that's in your tanks is also t- treated because they could be carrying larvae from the, we call them villagers, but larvae from the mussels. So we don't want that to be contaminating any of your local waters. Once they're in the water in British Columbia, because we protect our uh, fresh water so strongly, is there's not a lot of tools once they're introduced. So prevention is the best tool. We need people to be alert across the province. Okay, so then what do you do with the water that's in the aquarium after? So if you find a mussel in your area, report it into the Ministry of Environment. Uh, You can find that information through our website, bcinvasives.ca. And there, there's actually a lot of guidance as how to treat that water to make sure that it's treated or to make sure that it's immune to having a muscle larvae in it. Okay. Uh, th- this sounds like it's super, super important. So we have to emphasize again, don't just flush this down the toilet, put it into a sealable plastic bag, freeze it for at least 24 hours, or you boil it. Is that what you said? For how long? Yeah. So you boil it for a couple of minutes, uh, boil it for at least a minute. So a couple of minutes to be safe. Take it out of the hot water or the freezer, put it in a package, uh, sealed package, put it in your garbage because now those mussels should be dead. Then you're going to want to have the water treated um, again. Uh, and you're, there's lots of details on how to do this, including through the pet stores that have provided these moss balls, not knowing what was in, included. Um, so I, this is um, a time for protecting. In order to protect our waters, we all have to make sure we don't dump any of our aquariums or release any of our pets. I mean, right. There's emails today on rabbits and uh, goldfish, never mind these uh, moss balls with zebra mussels. All of these are things that people can make a difference on by not releasing. We call it don't don't let it loose. Uh, like take right. it back to the pet store, talk to the conservation officers, talk to the Ministry of Environment, go to our website, bcinvasives.ca, but do not release uh, uh, pets into the environment. It's actually illegal to do that. So also that made me wonder then, like, are the stores, the, the stores that sell this equipment, the stores that sell all this, are they are they knowledgeable about this? Do they know that, listen, you got to be careful with this stuff? Uh, absolutely. All the pet stores that we're aware of, and right now the conservation officers are meeting with pet stores, but you as an individual can walk into your local pet store and ask them if they take an action on moss balls and if they're being proactive on invasive species. We're actually rolling out to work more with the pet aquarium trade to make sure that they have more skills and tools in their toolbox. But as individuals, walk into your store, be friendly, find out whether they've got these moss balls that might have mussels in them and and ask them what they're doing about them. All the pet stores we've worked with to date have been very proactive because they don't want to be part of a problem. They don't want to be introducing these. these. This was accidentally found by an alert individual who noticed it and went, this isn't right, and took the time to report that's what it takes. It takes the, the community to be aware. Okay, so that's good. So anybody has an aquarium, you need to know about this. Have we had close calls with this before, Gail? Uh, we've had close calls with zebra quagga mussels on boats coming in, and that's why British Columbia has got a you know a boat inspection station around our province. That And so there have been close calls. We've had many boats stopped and decontaminated is the term. If they had mussels on them, they're decontaminated. We know that the larvae, the villagers, can live like, uh, you know, almost a month. So they will decontaminate it, uh, keep it out of water, which is obviously if you've got an aquarium, that same water can be contaminated, which is why it needs to be treated. Your aquarium needs to be cleared. Do not dump it outside. So we've had close calls with other species too. Like there's lots of examples in BC where pets have been let loose and then they become established, whether it's um, red slider turtles or rabbits. As an example, our goldfish is my favorite one because right. it's, those that grow to be like 
multiple pounds in your local lake. And again, there's not much you can do once you're out there. And yet the simple solution would have been to have people not to let it loose, take it back to your pet store, um, do not put it down your toilet, and do not put it in your pond. So lots of close calls. Um, but today we are much more aware of what are responsible actions and that every citizen in BC can be on the alert. Tell your neighbor, your friend, no, don't take your goldfish outside. No, don't dump your aquarium. And definitely don't right. buy mothballs that have potential uh, zebra quagga mussels in them. Excellent advice. Uh, Gail, thank you. Okay, thank you for your time. And uh, you can certainly find more information on our website, bcinvasive.ca. Thank you. Awesome. Be alert. That's Gail Wallen, the Executive Director of Invasive Species of BC. Of BC. Check out their website if you have any questions about this.